from Variety, celebrating more than 115 years covering the business of entertainment. This is the Award Circuit Podcast. It a lot of montages, a lot of sort of like rock ballads, um, a lot of Pamela looking fucking amazing <laughs> um, in like sort of pop videos. Um, no, it, do you know what? It really stands up. It's such good television and the characters are so brilliant and it so encapsulates that feeling. Like it's so aspirational and I can see why it like took the world by storm because you're like these beautiful people on a beach, like literally saving the world. I mean, they're not just lifeguards. Lily James watched a lot of Baywatch in preparing to play Pamela Anderson in Hulu's Emmy-nominated limited series Pam and Tommy, and she has a newfound appreciation for the syndicated hit. I'm Michael Schneider, and on this episode of the Variety Awards Circuit Podcast, we talked to Sebastian Stan and Lily James about Pam and Tommy, their Hulu series about the truth behind that infamous Pamela Anderson, Tommy Lee sex tape, and how it unfairly maligned Anderson and her career. But first, our Awards Circuit Roundtable discusses the lead actress categories and much, much more. It's all next on this edition of the Variety Awards Circuit Podcast. Stay close. And here we go. I'm Michael Schneider, along with Emily Longaretta, Jazz Tanke, and Clayton, the man Davis. Welcome, everyone. Hi, Mr. Schneider. Hello. I didn't do my homework. It is the, <laughs> well, it, it's kind of this weird time where it's the end of July. Voting hasn't started yet for phase two, but it will soon. Uh, but I think everyone's still sort of getting over Comic-Con and, you know, testing every day to just see if they got anything. So far, I'm negative as of this recording, but we shall see. <laughs> you're you're a negative guy, typically, so that's what happens. Exactly. You know, if you have a negative outlook on life, you can't test positive. Everyone knows that. There you go. The light just like it screams at me. Negative, negative, negative. Can I, so, can I also kindly request a much shorter phase two? Like, just for next time in life. Like, I think this is really long. <laughs> it is, although it, there there isn't that same sort of energy or sort of frenzy that there is in phase one. So phase two does feel a little more controlled. I mean, I say that, but poor Emily has just been like, <laughs> frantic for the past. Because <laughs> honestly, it's like the, the thing with phase two is it happens so fast. We really take our time with phase one and everyone's a potential nominee. Phase two, it's like, go, go, go. They're like, you need to mention every single person on this list. Here's 30 people. Find a way to fit them in. Yeah. Like, yeah. And oh, it's like, okay. can you speak to so-and-so? Okay. Can you speak to so-and-so? <laughs> can you do this interview? Can you? And then it's like, I actually spoke to them. Well, and I think the thing about phase two is also it's like it's not like I'm like, oh, this person's probably not going to get nominated. So I can kind of just brush this off where it's like these people are all already nominated. Like it's yeah. all good people that you want to speak to. So it's not like you want to just brush any of them off. And there are 102 categories. It's like not forget that little part of, you know, that we have to remember. There are hun- over no, 100 can't. categories and everybody wants to be written about. Yep. Yeah, no, it's true. And we we just got out the list of all the categories and, and what night they're going to be on at Creative Arts and, and regular primetime Emmys. Primetime Emmys is going to have 25 categories on the telecast, which... What what was it last year? Like it's pretty. We, that's pretty. That's that's on par with normal. I mean, it's just every year that it's it's a stacked telecast, and that's why whenever anyone says, "Well, how come it's not more entertaining?" Well, because they have twenty five categories <laughs> they need to award on the telecast. It's impressive they managed to do anything else on that show besides just give away Emmys. Yeah. So, 
Yeah, Creative Arts Weekend, aka Labor Day Weekend, how you'll be spending your holiday. <laughs> well, let's talk about that. And then Primetime Emmys happens the same weekend as D23, as and, TIFF. And, and Toronto, and just like, like what what a world. Yeah. A friend of mine just told me today that they're coming in town for D23, and I, they were like, are you around? I was like, no. <laughs> no, I'm not. The whole weekend? No. no, I'm already booked. I'm not <laughs> do anything. Sorry. No, I do. I do feel bad for all those Disney folks who somehow have to work both. Like, but that's I that's know. not our problem. So, <laughs> the other big news of besides Comic Con, the other news is we should have been going to TCA um, starting this week, and there is no Television Critics Association press tour again, as it's gone all virtual because. Uh, even though we all just got infected at Comic-Con, apparently, it's, it's, uh, it's not cool to get infected at the Langham in Pasadena. So. Yeah, no, they, they want to keep having their big premieres, but they don't want to have us in a room. <laughs> yeah. I, think it's, I think it's us. I think, I think it's just they find us dirty. This is us. Um, actually, if you, I mean, listen, the truth is that they wanted to take place on uh, September 12th, and then, you know, they knew we would all get very upset. <laughs> Yeah, we would yeah. say no. We have to collectively say no. Right, right. They should have just had press tour at the Emmy event. Um, but I guess it also means that there won't be a TCA Awards now. It'll just be another press release. Yeah, we haven't heard anything. Mm. I'm I'm pretty bummed about it, to be honest. I love the TCA Awards. Do we have a date like of like when it's supposed to? Yeah, they're to supposed have... to be the 12th? Of August? Yeah. No, I think it's supposed to be Is the... That... The previous, like the sixth, I think, or like that Saturday or the seventh. Like next weekend. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. So. You're right. Next Saturday. Mm, I just want to point out that there is potential history to be made with TCA. Uh, if either Lee Jung Jae or Michael Keaton win, they will be the first men, if they end up winning the Emmy. To sweep all the awards of Globe, SAG, Critics' Choice, TCA, and then win the Emmy. No man has ever done that. Only women. Oh. That is such a specific piece of trivia, Clayton. Yeah. I mean, it's it's, it's because there's not a lot of TV awards. So, like, it's pretty, like, pretty easy to, like, to follow them. But then I didn't realize, because I, unfortunately, I don't think of TCA right away when I think of the the TV awards on that side, it was get, it gets kind of lost in the shuffle. But then I was doing some research for one of the many things I write for Emily, uh, for her book, uh, phase two, it's called phase two. That's the name of the, the book <laughs> now. Yeah. <laughs> phase two Emmy edition. Uh, but yeah, like there, no man has ever, uh, done it. That's interesting. Well, I guess they'll have to celebrate over a press release now yeah. since we <laughs> will actually be toasting them in person, sadly. But yeah. um, five five women and uh, the fifth woman was last year, Miss uh, Jean Hacks. Ah, uh, Jean Hacks, Jean Smart. We call Hacks. Jean Hacks. <laughs> we, we just call her Jean Hacks now. Jean Hacks. Jean Hacks. Jean Hacksman. What? Yeah. You know it's been a week. It's yeah. been a week. <laughs> you know what's going to be crazy? By the way, I was like thinking about this recently, and this is a good segue now into some lead actress talk. Jean Smart. Yeah. It's about to win an Emmy again, probably, right? Like, I think we could just kind of like, we, I think we could all come to. I mean, there, there is a, there is a race there. But yeah, we'll get, really, we'll get to it. There, there's an interesting race, but she, she also can get nominated for an Oscar this year. She has a meaty role coming up in the movie Babylon, 
where she plays, uh, oh my God, it's a fictionalized version of, oh God, St. John, uh, Ellie St. John. It was like an old British uh, screenwriter from like the 40s. And it's like the medius role. I'm like, she's about to get an Oscar too. Like, we're just here. Like, this is just, we're just in her world. Yeah, well, just enjoying okay, let's, it. let's get her a Grammy too. And 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 a Tony. <laughs> there, there, there's a nice spoken word album for her in the future. I know it. Totally. For sure. She, yeah. she can write something. So. All right. Well, why don't we talk uh, lead actress this week? Last week we did actor in the major categories. This this time let's talk lead actress. So we could uh, kick things off with, with drama, with drama, as uh, they, they say in Canada. So in drama, we've got uh, Jodie Comer from Killing Eve, a previous winner, previous variety cover. Uh, Laura Linney from Ozark. Melanie Linsky from Yellow Jackets. Sandra Oh from Killing Eve. Reese Witherspoon from The Morning Show. I'm sorry, who was that? Wait, 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 what? Because I'm still (laughs) in that moment sitting next to Emily and the noise they came uh, from both of us. Couldn't believe yeah. it. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah. Well, and, and Zendaya from uh, Euphoria. But yeah, when they they because they announced these nominees alphabetically, and immediately there was no Jennifer Aniston. So you knew, oh, like ooh. all right. And by the way, it, it was really hard to keep up with because we had heard Jodie Comer, and then we heard Sandra Oh. So we were trying to play in our head, like, wait, who's missing? Who? Wait, where, where are we going? Are missing. Yeah. yeah. And then it was all it was complete anarchy. I know, poor, poor, poor Zendaya with a Z as her, her name has to just wait to the very end. Listen, they, they were choosing violence that day. So if, if she had missed, like, I, it would have been on par with that crazy uh, nomination day. But I will say this, um, I think early on, I think we were all, I say we all, pundits, critics, audience, uh, audiences, were expecting that Zendaya was just going to run away with this, which in theory she still might. However... There is an active uh, top half and bottom half, I think, of this of this race. I think Zendaya, Laura Linney, and Melanie Linsky are actively, like, going for the win. I think Sandra Oh, Jodie Comer, and Reese Witherspoon are just happy to be there. That's just my quick assessment. No, I think that makes sense, especially, uh, you know, the, the Killing Eve duo. I mean, that that's, that's sort of, you know, I loved Killing Eve back uh, in its heyday, but... It does feel like that heyday passed, so that's that's pretty astounding that they still ended up even being nominated. Yeah. yeah. And that's it for the show, right? Nothing else came for it, right? Like, it got no creative arts. It was just those two, right? Yeah, those are the only two noms, yeah. Bananas. I just feel like Melanie Linsky is definitely leading, like, in my mind is leading. I mean, obviously she's coming off of Critics' Choice when she's... People are loving her right now, and understandably so. So I... I'm still thinking that she is leading this. I would assume Zendaya is the biggest struggle, but for me, I would I think Melanie. But I think there's a lot of love for Yellow Jackets um, still. Like even though that you know that screened like ten variants ago, um, people have been talking about Melanie and Yellow Jackets like consistently. Like I don't think it really fell off and. Emily's point there is a lot of love for her so yeah agreed yeah I mean the three are from drama series nominees which obviously helps right which is why it's like very focused on them uh at the moment Mel- uh Zendaya I think what we still have to remember when she won that first time 
I don't know about everyone else, but that was like a surprise that she won because she did it with Euphoria not having drama series, like had a really limp nomination showing. And on top of that, she didn't get nominated for Golden Globe or SAG, which she didn't get nominated again this time. Like she missed out. She hasn't gotten those other industry award uh, nominations, which is rare to win an Emmy with without them in this modern day. So that's why I'm like, maybe it really is Melanie Linsky. Like the, she is an actor's actor. Everyone loves her. Also, Laura Linney, I call her the awards thief. She will swoop in and say, I did the big C. So I'm going to take this and run away. And <laughs> right, right. Just, and and hosted masterpiece theater. Yes, so. <laughs> like she just like, she has three <laughs> Emmys. Like just like we forget that. So uh, th- there is an active uh, race there. And I think M- Melanie could do it. Yeah. No, Laura Linney has four Emmys. So well, she does have four Emmys. Yeah. So so yeah, you, you can't count out Laura Linney. Uh, but you're right uh, about you know Melanie Linsky. The the thing is, it's. I would have said maybe a few years ago she seemed to be a lock, but the demographics have changed with the TV Academy, and we saw that with Zendaya winning a few years ago. Yeah. And it is a show that uh, this is the year that it's really resonating. It didn't resonate a few years ago when she won that Emmy. Now it is like like at the top of pop culture. So that feels like even more likely that – you know, in some ways, the TV Academy, I think, is more diverse and young than some of those other organizations. I mean, definitely more diverse and young than the Globes. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> goes without saying. But um, but yeah, so so previous winner in this category. She's also nominated twice for music and lyrics. Uh, for, I'm sorry, for, three times because she has two songs nominated. Yeah, oh, that's, that's what I mean. Oh, two, yeah. two, two music and lyrics noms. Wait, wait, I just lied again. No, she has four nominations because she's also a producer. She yeah. has so many nominations this year. Yeah. It's, what, a, what, a, what a machine. It's You're right. It is down to those three. I still got to lean towards Zendaya because of all of that, even though I would not be surprised if the either two got it as well. Also, the second most nominated drama of the year, 16 nominations for Euphoria, which also like crazy. Very crazy. Just does not feel like, a, you know, a, a couple of years ago, that would not be an Emmy show. Never. Yeah. No, no you made a good point. I think the, the demographics have, have changed uh, a lot. And maybe that just also it just points out that we were really bad 25 year olds, that she's where she is and we are where we are now and then. Just want to point out that she's 25. Without and, Emmys, and, without nominations. I have no Emmy. I have no four <laughs> nominations this year. I have nothing. No. No, I have no money. No. I have no money. <laughs> I don't have Tom Holland either. Like, I know, like what? <laughs> just, I'm just I'm here. not in Budapest shooting. <laughs> I'm Dune not shooting two. Dune 2. <laughs> God. Time to, time to shake it up. Yeah. So. Oh, my God. <laughs> we can turn it around now, right? <laughs> we can do it now. Dear Emmy voters, please consider us next year. <laughs> All right. On to lead actors in a comedy series. So this was the category we were talking about. We've got the incumbent, the one and only Gene Smart from Hacks, up against Rachel Brosnahan from The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel, previous winner, uh, Quinta Brunson, of course, from Abbott Elementary, Kaylee Cuoco from The Flight Attendant, Elle Fanning from The Great, and Issa Rae from Insecure. Just want to point out that on paper, in a, when I was predicting nominations, I would never have predicted the great to get into lead actor drama. I mean, lead actor comedy and lead actress comedy without 
getting in for comedy series. And it really like bothers me, like just on a, like a sensical. That was a very strange situation for both her and Nicholas Holt to both get nominations this year for the great. Yeah. Really yeah. out of left field. <laughs> and, then not, and then not comedy series. So yeah. They really liked those performances. Um, so yeah, I think this is Gene Smart's to lose. I think we can have an active debate about who we think number two is. I do think it's a clear Quince Brunson. I think she would be the spoiler. Unless uh, unless that Merritt Weaver, Nurse Jackie surprise win of the day happens and hello Issa Rae, take one for the road on your last season. But I do think I it's- wouldn't be mad about that. I wouldn't be mad if, if I don't it think was anyone Issa. would be. No, no, no. Or Quinta, obviously. I mean, Quinta's been killing it this, I mean, this season. Obviously, and it's so nice to have some love for broadcast, but I, I agree that it's Gene Smart's uh, to lose. I think um, there is a case to be made for Quinta in that there there is st- sort of that, yeah, that, that feel-good uh, network nominee. Uh, this is just the the year that she really like you know came on strong, and if these other sort of prestige shows sort of cancel each other out, then suddenly you get the the broadcast show sort of sneak through, and this could be the place where if Abbott doesn't win best comedy, this is where maybe they figure okay we gave it to Gene last year, so let's let's honor some fresh talent and be first to honor this fresh talent. Should be the second black woman to win the category ever. Wow. Which is, like, actually insane. I do think that love, though, I I think her being number two here is why I think I'm predicting her to win writing. I think she's going to win the writing uh, Emmy. Yeah. I think she might do that. So I think all this, like, kind of correlates. I mean, listen, if she won all three, it'd be crazy. So Abbott just went on a streak and just, like, went down the line, which is is interesting because it's, like, arguably like number two or three in every category that it's nominated in, except for Tyler Williams, probably, but everything else is like within arm's reach of winning. No, it's, it's definitely, definitely in the mix. So, and, um, yeah. So we shall see about that. Uh, Rachel Brosnahan. I mean, that feels, I mean, it's, it, it's, you know, she's, 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 she's time has passed. Yeah. Yeah. She's a previous winner. So you never know with these previous winners. Sometimes uh, there's sort of this lingering love for for folks who have been in the mix in the past. Um, uh, by the way, that's why I think we may need to prepare for a Tony Shalhoub win. I feel like that could just happen. Like it, it, it would be like, because listen, no shades to Tony Shalhoub because he's an angel on earth and we should all <laughs> worship the ground he works on, he walks on. But... I think it would be a very lazy choice to make for a TV Academy. Be like, oh, Tony Shalhoub, we give him Emmys all the time. He's the Alison yeah. Janney of what, this like, thing. He has, he has like five or six, right? It's just something like that. Like he's just Alison oh, Janney. Oh, four. Okay, yeah. It feels like feels like six. No, they they <laughs> they still love the monk. What can, what can you say? They love the monk. Guys, I'm obsessed with Monk. I'm just gonna be, just gonna share that. Is that is such an Emily. Oh my God, <laughs> you cannot be more on brand for yourself than you are right I'm now. Very on brand. Oh, I just like God. to be consistent. What I what I love about Emily's taste in television shows is that that's the one place where I actually feel kind of young. That I have yeah. younger taste than Emily, <laughs> which right. Yeah, I mean, 
Listen, she she comes in with some Harold and Maude and 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 Mary Tyler Moore show <laughs> and just all these classic TV and movies and just like yeah. Like Emily, His monk no. is not even that old. Why are you saying this? Monk is like is not even close to in the same realm. Was like two thousand two? That's like that's like when I, it's twenty years ago. No, I think what Clayton's saying it's a show for old people. Like yeah. it's old old oh, people it's watch for, it's monk. Show for old people. Yes, yeah. you're right. You're right. That I that I agree with. No, this is what it would be like. You saying I really loved Wings. Do you also, know what Wings are? Big, big fan. There you go. There you go. I had the box set of wings. I, of course you did. Of course <laughs> oh my you did. god! God, do you still watch USA? Like, do you watch USA like on cable? Oh my gosh, start? it has all my favorites in reruns. Are <laughs> <That's>, you kidding? <laughs> and burn notice. <laughs> do you also have just shoot me on box set? Oh my god! <laughs> wow, throwback. I should get that on box set. Now you're giving her ideas. Yeah, I know. Yeah, wait, now I'm going to be on you, the hunt. Were you one of the two people that watched the Mad About You reboot? Actually, no. no I didn't even okay. know how to do Spectrum at that, that point. Is true. I was I'm like, how do I even find this? <laughs> well, what a time! Time yeah. to be alive. Time to be alive. <laughs> so, our our sort of our final verdict on lead actress in comedy probably Jean Smart, but yeah. Winta can yeah. kind of potentially sneak in. Which Winta's coming up. Come on, we still love Jean Smart, so. Uh, all right, lead actress in limited or anthology series or movie. So we got Tony Collette for The Staircase. We've got Julia Garner for Inventing Anna. Lily James for Pam and Tommy. Sarah Paulson for Impeachment, American Crime Story. Margaret Qualley for Maid. And Amanda Seyfried for The Dropout. That's a pretty stacked category. We see quite a few uh, Emmy catnip. I mean... They love the Sarah Paulson. They love the Julia Garner. Um, but Amanda Seyfried, I mean, that was one of the performances of the year. What say you guys? I'm reminded of 2018 when Regina King won for seven seconds. And it just like, everyone was like, oh, I guess we just do this again because you love Regina King. Which, by the way, give Regina King all the Emmys you want. Right, absolutely. Um, which I'm never going to object to. That's why, while... It's easy to say Amanda's going to run away with this. I've been here before <laughs> with people looking like they're they're going to do it. And then someone who I feel is number six in the category <laughs> comes up. I'm looking at you and you and McGregor for all Halston last year. Like <laughs> You'll like, never get over it. <laughs> like, you'll never get over it. Like it just like it, it comes in like that. Like crazy. crazy I know that, that, so. that, that is the best when someone wins an Emmy for a show that, you know, no one actually watched. That you yeah. guarantee no one watched. <laughs> no way. That was just the name check. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and that kind of is the case with Sarah Paulson. I mean, people didn't watch impeachment. We all know no one, because it wasn't in, on Hulu until so much later, people did not watch it. So, I mean, but the Emmys love her. The Academy loves her. I think people start, they started and watching she is it, I still, think. <laughs> and regardless of what you thought, I mean, she yeah. still has such a good performance and such a transformation. So I feel like that's always a plus and like a push for her. And then there's Julia Garner, who's also obviously nominated and supporting actress for Ozark and, uh, you know, who's uh, the most Emmy winning of this bunch, actually, with two so far. And um, you could see them going for that, even though Inventing Anna was another one of those sort of surprises, like the great of, of this Emmy season where, yeah, you know, people watched it, but you didn't think that it was necessarily going to get all the awards uh, or even all the nominations. 
It, it made sense because it's like it was watched. It like it was it was water cooler talk, but by water cooler I mean Twitter and like wherever else you talk to people now nowadays. But looking uh, through a little bit of Emmy history, and I brought up Laura Linney before. She won this category for the Big C Hereafter, and that year she beat uh, Elizabeth Moss for Top of the Lake, which everyone thought she was like the runaway there, and beat Helen Mirren for Phil Spector, Jessica Lange for American Horror Story Asylum, and Sigourney Weaver for Political Animals. So I am going to say Amanda will win with a very, very small W. I also really don't want to count out Tony Collette because she's so good. And I just, I do feel like people watch and I feel like the staircase came out the most recently, but that could be, that could be a little bit of a help. Yeah. And she's kind of, and she's owed one because she lost for unbelievable. 100%. Yeah. Yeah. She's won one in the past, but she's been nominated five times. So they do love Tony Collette. So I could very well see that. They also love Pam and Tommy, though. I will say that. Somehow. And they love <laughs> Lily James. It's Mike's fault. Um. Yeah. <laughs> Listen, I think it's a great nomination. Like, I I, I really, I think of, I was glad that she survived, because I really thought that show was going to, like, get beat up and not make it. But I'm glad she made it. But this is, before nomination, because Made didn't do as well as it did, that's why I'm reluctant to say Margaret Qualley is like the number two that's contending because I really thought she was really contending for it, and then made ended up uh, coming up short in a lot of spots. But uh, Julia Garner, I think, I think it's okay to ask yourself: Does she definitely walk away with one with those two nominations? And then you have to kind of like hedge your bets, you know? Or do you think she really just goes home with nothing because she's won twice for Ozark? And I feel like this would set the set down the groundwork for her playing Madonna and winning an Oscar in like a year or two. Yeah, I mean, it's hard not to think she would if since she's won before for Ozark and her last season performance was so good. I just can't imagine that she loses for the last season. So that's where I think she wins. But I don't think in this category, I can't see inventing it. I know the Academy liked liked it, but I don't see her winning here. But going all the way with that accent, with the, with the uh, Anna Delvey's accent. <laughs> it was a great SNL sketch. Chloe Feynman was incredible. She should have got at me for that. I mean, that whole show was a great SNL sketch. All, <laughs> yeah. Every every 13-hour episode. Yeah. I, I think The Staircase, by the way, is the least nominated uh, of the six uh, shows that are here. The Staircase only got Colette and Firth. So yeah. I... I, I I if Staircase had done better, I would say I think Tony Collette's really gonna like do it. But I mean, who knows? Like this again, Emmys just do what they want to do. They we we they don't listen to us anymore. Because if that was the case, then after party would be everywhere. Yeah. Oh, inventing after party. Anna well, got casting. Sorry, I was gonna say yeah. Inventing Anna also got the casting nomination. So that could be a sign. Um, I just hope that they do show the uh, Lil Wayne uh, How to Love scene at the Emmys <laughs> when uh, they have to, right? <laughs> or even just do that as a performance, right? <laughs> just have Amanda walk out to that. Yeah, I wouldn't be yeah. there for that. And have and have Lil Wayne actually there performing How to Love. <laughs> I mean, again, if we produced the Emmys, which by the way still doesn't have a host, 
as of this taping, there's still no host. <laughs> okay, guys, I have a confession to make. I just got a call. <laughs> I I am doing some I'm doing ventriloquist work on the Emmy stage, and that's how they're gonna <laughs> do it. Can I just say I hope they show clips for everyone. I the worst thing about the Emmys, like I mean, not the worst, that's a lie. The the one of the most annoying things about the Emmy ceremony is that they show clips for some and not for all. I'm like, just do it for everyone. Like just well, go. But then it's a little time consuming. So let's not oh, go, I get let's it. Not go crazy. Then, then don't show any. <laughs> yeah, it needs to be consistent, but let's not go crazy because I mean we don't need it to be a seven hour show. Do not give them ideas. There was a year, I think I remember, oh God, maybe like a decade ago that they did like, you know, half clips and they showed all the men categories, I think by accident. And it was like none of the female That probably was not by accident. (laughs) And I was like, guys, what are we doing? (laughs) This isn't a good look. Well, it's always the case, like at the start of the night, like it's these long clip packages. And then as they're desperate to cut time toward the end, they're just like quickly just naming, not even showing clips, just naming the nominees. They're not even cutting to the people in the audience. (laughs) It's like, let's get through it all. Here, a uh, quick pop quiz. Who has won the most Emmys in this category? This category? Of actress in a limited or anthology? Yeah. Well, like, or, yeah. or miniseries yeah. or whatever this yeah, category is. And whatever designation it was throughout industry, like it's with its equivalents. I don't know. Who? Helen Mirren. Wow. Oh. She has four. And then uh, Patty Duke and Laura Linney have three. All right. Well, I would not have guessed Helen Mirren. That's that's. I'm happy yeah. about that, though. I feel like it's easy to know who's the most in comedy actress, right? Like that's recent. Well, that's because of uh, Prime Suspect, right? Didn't she Prime, win a whole yeah. bunch over the years for Prime Suspect? Oh, right. Helen Wait, who? Helen Mirren. Uh, yes, she won for Prime Suspect, and yeah, some. Yeah, else. that that thing yeah. would pop up like every other year yeah. or you something. You mean that drama series? That drama right. series? Yes, that was <laughs> that was a limited quote unquote <laughs> series. Yeah. yeah, Julia Louis Dreyfus has the most in comedy. She's won seven. Yeah, uh, most nominations. Also, she had twelve. And then for drama, the most awarded is oh, it's actually surprising. Uh, Time Daily and Michael Learned. Oh, from the Waltons. Yeah. And they won four times. And Tyne Daly, who was Cagney and or Lacey. Uh, yeah. yeah Come on, Emily. You know this. Emily, yeah. <laughs> Emily, Emily trying to act like you don't know. <laughs> like she was ready to be like, oh, that's great. <laughs> I didn't know, guys. I didn't know. I, I'm, I'm still a little baby. I'm only 31 years old. <laughs> I just want to point out, by the way, Angela Lansbury will hold that record for all time, 12, uh, 0 and 12 in lead actress drama, and it's horrible. Uh, well, it's because she she kept killing those people. <laughs> <laughs> Every week. I'm fine with her just winning, like, over and over again. I'm totally fine with that. She never won. Angela, but she, I'm, oh, I'm, just in general. Yeah. It's gonna be a it's gonna be an interesting time. Who do who would you like to host? Who would be like your pick? If you could just have it your way. Oh, I don't even know at this point. <laughs> I feel like we've talked about this so many times, and now I'm like, I don't even. Yeah, I want to. I want a very raunchy R-rated uh, Tom Segura to do it. I want. I want. I want to just like get the Emmys canceled on regular television, and make them go on a streamer. 
Well, it's going to be NBC talent, right? I mean, I assume they're going to go with someone SNL, someone, yeah. I don't know, Girls 5 Eva would be nice to give them some love. Yeah, I would love to see Girls Apollo 5 Eva host. Yeah. Oh, my God, yeah. I don't know about all of them, but I think I'd take Apollo. No, I think Apollo all of them. I, really? Because... They I could actually, go without a few. That'd be great. <laughs> as long as you, if Renee Elise Goldsberry is allowed to sing, then yes. Then you can have all well, of them. Obviously. But you know she's yes. going to do a musical moment. Yeah. But I would, but a busy Phillips Paul Appel combo would be pretty incredible. Female hosts would be nice too, because last year yeah. was what? Cedric, right? Yeah. Yeah. So we'll see. All right. Well, I think that does it for this week. Let's brush up on everything, and we'll see you again next week. Bye-bye. Bye. After the break, Pam and Tommy stars Sebastian Stan and Lily James. From Los Angeles, this is the Award Circuit Podcast. And we're back. It's the Variety Award Circuit Podcast. I'm Michael Schneider. In Hulu's Pam and Tommy, which premiered in February, Lily James and Sebastian Stan play Baywatch star Pamela Anderson and Motley Crue drummer Tommy Lee as the couple meet, fall in love, and then make a private recording that is ultimately stolen, becoming the first infamous viral video of a burgeoning online age. Early on, though, the show chronicles the couple's courtship. Look at you. You have nothing to be self-conscious about, especially not your acting. You think I'm a good actor? Uh, totally. You can do anything. Drama, comedy, fucking Shakespeare. Mm-hmm. I've been rehearsing the shit out of it. It's the first time I've been given more than two lines in a row this season. I am so proud of you. That, they're not even going to know what hit them. <sighs> I should get to bed. Oh, no, no, no. It's not even A. No, I know, I Come know. Come on. I know, I want to be rested and fresh. Baby. But then came the sex tape. The tape was shared and played at parties like it was contraband, dubbed VHS copies spread across the world as it was sold and traded on the then brand new World Wide Web. It later inspired a whole cottage industry of celebrity sex tapes, most of which were purposely leaked, unlike this one. And yet, there remain many misconceptions about what really happened and who's really to blame. Over time, the actual story of the tape's theft and how it victimized both Anderson and Lee, but at very different levels, has been lost to the memory of late-night punchlines and sophomoric snickering. For the stars, producers, and directors of Pam and Tommy, there was a sense that they were on a mission to correct that record, and in particular for Anderson. Pam and Tommy is really three stories in one— a heist thriller retracing how the tape fell into the hands of a disgruntled construction worker, an unconventional love story about two celebrities whose relationship became more public than they could have ever imagined, and a societal critique on how the media, the justice system, and the public all failed Pamela Anderson. Pam and Tommy has received 10 Emmy nominations this year, including for limited or anthology series, as well as lead actress for James and lead actor for Stan, the first nominations for both. Variety's Janelle Riley spoke to both Stan and James in separate interviews. First up, Riley spoke to James and kicked off by asking about where she got the news about her Emmy nomination. I was actually recovering from my brother's wedding in I was in Bordeaux, and then I was having a massage, um, <laughs> and I came out. I sort of knew that that this thing was that they were announcing and blah blah blah, and I was like happy not to be 
like with, like like too focused on it and then I came out of my massage and got my phone out my locker and it was like exploded with like messages from people so it was really nice that might be the best way of hearing I've ever heard <laughs> yeah it was really good because I was super zen I thought I wouldn't be able to like relax but I really did power yeah. of a good massage and then yeah I had my first message I opened was from Sebastian and I was so excited that he'd got a nomination and then I learned that like the show had and hair and makeup and costume and editing. And it was just to share that with the entire, you know, the crew and the cast and Seth made it feel really special. I was going to say, I mean, it's really cool to get nominated, but then to see everyone that you collaborated with too, just, just makes it even better. Totally. And it just felt like such a shared um, honor and sort of a recognition. And I, and the thing about the show was at every point, everyone had to make sure they were aligned. We, you know, our intentions in why individually all of us wanted to be a part of it. I mean, everyone had very personal reasons or shared reasons or desires to sort of explore something, but, um, it felt like such a team effort and such a, and I felt like everyone really poured themselves into it. So it was really um, wonderful to feel like united in, in this form of kind of success. So, yeah. It's funny you say you had a text from Sebastian because I was wondering if like you and Sebastian and Seth had an ongoing text chain, you know, as the episodes were <laughs> or reacting to them. <laughs> um, not so much with Seth. I guess our storylines were so separate. Um, but with Sebastian, totally, I mean, he's become such a great friend and we were really friends to each other this entire process, you know, because it was pretty, so much of it was really revealing and really, um, we had to be super brave with each other and trust each other. And I've never really worked with someone who's been so upfront from the word go about how much he was willing to give me in, in terms of support and dialogue and, it was like, really, we were so united in this like very bizarre challenge of playing someone that's real and that's still alive. And, um, and what we, how, how sort of, um, we always felt like we were real custodians of these people. And we felt like we knew the most about these people by the time it got to shooting over the director, over maybe not the writers, but so we really felt like we had to like protect and own that. And, um, and we were really united in that feeling and that challenge and that at times sort of total head mania <laughs> of trying to balance all those things, you know. It's interesting to me, too, because you didn't know each other at all beforehand. And I don't, I don't think you really had much time to get to know each other or did you? No, it was amazing. Actually, we um, we had two rehearsals with Craig Gillespie at his house and Rob and Devi, the show creators and writers. And we sat around and we met the first time, talked about the scenes, talked about the characters, met the second time. By this point, I'd invested in a blonde wig and was already like showing up in a wig and in an accent. Um, <laughs> um and we, at one point in that second afternoon, they were like, why don't you just like jump up and try the scenes? And I was like, Ooh. you know, doing it without the makeup and the whole thing felt like very, um, uh, made you feel very vulnerable because you didn't have that persona, that kind of outward um, look, which was so crucial. Um, but we started playing around with the scenes and and, and um, it just really came alive. And I think everyone was like, oh, this is going to be fun. And it was very playful and 
thank God we just like really naturally had quite a good chemistry. It could have been really different. Yeah, I was going to say, because chemistry is so impossible to define. And sometimes no matter what, it's just not there. And Mm. was there a moment you knew, I mean, shortly after meeting him that it was going to work? Yeah, I think you get a sense of whether um, there's a connection and that you can really look in someone's eyes and you can hold their eye contact and you can feel their trust and you can feel a sense of playfulness. And Sebastian is such a generous actor and he's so brave. Like he was always pushing us to be as spontaneous as possible to get it wrong, to do the opposite of what we think it is in order to see what that unlocks. And for me, it was just like, uh, acting in that way is like, I feel like the luckiest person in the world. It's so fun and exhilarating and such a ride. And, um, and I knew that pretty early on actually. And the same with Craig Gillespie as a director, we started off the show with him and then we had Lake Bell and Hannah Bell and Gwyneth, these amazing, also incredible directors that brought so much, but Craig is so playful (laughs) and so all of it is just about like creating this fizz and this energy and and monopolizing over that of your instincts and your impulses and just like running with it um and uh it's a super exciting workplace when it's like that um doesn't feel like work actually just like you know (laughs) yeah was there much if any improv when you actually got to the set um Yeah, wait, there was a scene, we would improv a bit, especially in some of the arguments and stuff, and there was a couple times we did, like, super long takes, and Sebastian and I, like, really, even in the edit, we were like, please shoot this, as use it as a one-er, like, it felt, like, so raw and honest, and, like, once you cut into something, some of that magic is broken because you disrupt the natural momentum and energy of of a scene if it really does kind of take shape in an in an organic way it's a shame to cut into it but um it wasn't quite right for the tone of the piece which has that kind of kinetic energy and the shots are always going boom 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 like really fast but there was a lot of kind of playfulness and improvisation between us um also I think both of us like I got to the point where I I really had to stay in the rhythm and the energy of her speech pattern and DV and Rob did such a good job at writing that into the script like that the way she speaks really fast and kind of like repeats herself but I would find that I had to kind of infuse even more of that into it at times which meant like freestyling a little bit but 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 a lot of it but most of it 90% of it more than that was in the script they did such an amazing job at capturing stuff that you didn't want to break the rhythm or play around too much but there were times when it when it would feel kind of off-piste yeah, when you're so immersed in your character, and I mean, it feels so real, especially those fights, as you were saying, I have to imagine that sometimes things just come out. Yeah, they felt really explosive. I mean, um, the stakes were really high. It's it's so funny, this piece, because on 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 one hand, you're playing these larger-than-life people, and there's like this rock and roll kind of wild energy to the piece, but then when it when you really start tackling the core of what's going on and, and the, what was at stake and what these people lost and what it, what it, um, the, the, the sort of impact on, on two people that had just were young people that had just fallen in love and were trying to start a family. And, and it, it just felt so painful. And like the scene where Sebastian was throwing stuff around the room and it was really, um, 
and I invested so much in these people and who they are. And it was, it's a real story. So the cost was great and it really hurt, you know, it was really, yeah, more than ever before it felt like, um, like there was a great cost on us, you know, to, to sort of acknowledge what really happened. I'm curious about that because you played a lot of tortured characters. You played a lot of, you know, happy characters Um, in the early scenes with Pam, did you find it was fun being her? Because I've just always heard what a joyous, kind person she is. And I feel like that was so reflected, especially in the scenes with her mom, you know, you get to go home after days like that. It probably felt great as opposed to some of the other days. Oh, it felt amazing. And I, there's like this passion and life force and like optimism and romanticism and like beauty about a rebellion in her spirit that I really wanted to like explore and so also I think the time I was playing her was like the burgeoning of I mean she was already an icon she was already in Baywatch she was but there was like the newness to everything which is so intoxicating and so to to play those moments when someone's life is literally changing, like being discovered and feeling like your world is blowing open. Like it was so, it was so exciting. It was, and it really, um, yeah, it was those moments of falling in love is just joyous. It was so much fun to play those scenes. Um, and high on ecstasy. So it was like, it doesn't get any better. <laughs> and then later when, you know, she's obviously going through so much, was it, how do you sort of take care of yourself? Because your body doesn't always know the difference when you're putting it no. through emotionally. And then you go home at the end of the day. I, I know you get massages. I hope that's a big help. <laughs> that's my guess. Massages great. Yeah. You know, it's so interesting. I, I really didn't acknowledge that for a long time that like, your nervous system doesn't really know the difference. Like if you're sat in a room with loads of men fucking um, in those deposition scenes, like diminishing you and, and shaming you, and that's really happening. You, you, your body takes that on. And on top of that, there's like a stress of filming that in those great moments, it's great. But in those hard moments, it's long hours. It's difficult. It's hot. It's thing. You're repetitive. You're do- you're not even just doing these scenes once. You're doing them over and over and over again. Like, So it does end up feeling really important. I did one of those round tables and it was, so, and I, at the end of the conversation, like, Hey, can I just ask you guys, like, what do you do at the end? You know, I'm sat with all these amazing actresses that I would never usually get to talk to. And I was like, how do you do it? And everyone had different like rituals or, or ways of forgiving themselves or allowing them the space to let go of characters. And it's the first time I've kind of really acknowledged that. And I think it's really important. It doesn't, it almost felt like I was being a bit wanky or a bit like, Ugh. but actually it's so true. <laughs> like you really have to like shake things off. Um, yeah. At the same time, um, as I said, there's so many things about Pam that I think it would be fun to play or, you know, would put you, would put you in a happier place. Is there anything that you sort of took from playing her, you know, into your, into your daily life? Yeah. I think that, um, she has a real, um, a a grace, almost like a way, a wit and a humor of like handling situations, which I think is super almost revolutionary. Like she would like, and she would use, attention whether it be good or negative for her own purposes now she has her foundation and she works with Peter and 
I'm really impressed. Like when she first started Baywatch, she wrote a letter saying everyone's obsessed with my boobs and my bum and I want to put the attention on something more worthy. And she started this long lifetime um, partnership with Peter. And I just find there's a humor and a, and a sort of carefree attitude where she's dealt with, it seems to me, even the hardest times in her life that as a woman in this industry, as anyone in this industry, you have to be tough and you have to like have that sense of humor, I think, to survive. Um, and yeah, I think that I, I want to, you know, emulate or, you know, carry that forward in, in, in my life. I think you need to, <laughs> um, to survive. <laughs> So, I yeah. also find her very calming. There's the, the moment I think where I relate to her the most is when Tommy is raging about something and she's just sitting there and she's like, can you not? You yeah. Know? <laughs> like yeah. sometimes silence says so much. And, you know, the way she composes herself, even though I'm sure it's hard, you know, I, I, I find so admirable. Yeah. It's interesting when you're playing someone real, because you're like drawing from so many different sources and different, like I, I took a lot from her like semi-autobiographical books. It's a character called star, but really it's very similar to her life. So I used it as like, and she's written po- like her poetry and da, 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 and like Tommy's book, which is obviously his perspective. So you take it all with the pinch of salt and you, you put it all into your melding pot and you decide what's relevant and what's useful. But there was, um, a toughness and a way of dealing things and that I picked up that I felt was like that womanly strength of when you just like put that wall up and go, I'm not like, there was just a, such a strength that I found like very inspiring um, and very under um, acknowledged or something. I don't know, as it often is. Um, Yeah. Was there, a specific story or something you learned about her that in your research that, you know, maybe didn't show up in the show overtly, but like really informed you? Um, well, you know, I, I, watching those early interviews, there was just such a sort of like bounce and a spirit and a, like a child, childish kind of like beauty that Tommy has too or had that I think was why it became like them against the world and I think they really like took solace in like marching forward into the mayhem of the 90s like you know celebrity culture and being like a freaking icon sex symbol and I think that they together could like felt like invincible until the ultimate violation took place which robbed them of that which is so heartbreaking um but also something I really picked up on was this like very very strong maternal instinct and I and not even just with her kids I think with her friends and her family and um I really fought at the end of the show um to keep this moment where they have the baby and Sebastian and I both did um it's like in the montage scene where you sort of see her um, giving birth and for me it felt like even though so much was taken from them they they were the winners they were the victors and they had their family and I felt like if you took that away from them in in the end and they ended on a real low moment it left her you know uh, being the victim of this situation like and I wanted in a, some way to end on something hopeful um, and the strength of motherhood she warrior through everything that happened to her. And um, so I think that was something that I really felt like was very precious and important and, and wanted to acknowledge about her. 
I'm curious in your preparation, did you have to go back and watch a lot of Baywatch? So much Baywatch. Basically, (laughs) I basically, all I did was go on the running machine and watch Baywatch. (laughs) That was my preparation. (laughs) It's been so many years since I've seen it. How does it hold up? A lot of montages, a lot of sort of like rock ballads, um, a lot of Pamela looking fucking amazing <laughs> um, in like sort of pop videos. Um, no, it, do you know what? It really stands up. It's such good television and the characters are so brilliant and it so encapsulates that feeling. Like it's so aspirational and I can see why it like took the world by storm because you're like these beautiful people on a beach, like literally saving the world. I mean, they're not just lifeguards. <laughs> Every week there's a plot like <laughs> blow up something and it's it just ticks all the boxes um I also was obsessed with VIP and her other show she did later on called Stacked and she's so funny and um, she really she sort of really blew me away with her sort of timing and her ability as I said to sort of like take the mick out of herself and like understand her strengths and her um and where she could like laugh at herself and I I think that's really um very powerful as an actor to sort of acknowledge that or as like a public figure you know um so yeah I am so glad you mentioned stacked because I love that show and I feel like it only lasts episodes it's so funny really funny she's really and I love like her ex is like coming on the show and stuff it's just so funny she's like fully like it's just yeah she's she's really hilarious um what else did I watch a lot of? I watched her reality TV show she briefly did um, on MTV and uh, all her interviews, all her Jay Leno and her Kimmel and just, you know, really um, luckily there was a lot to sort of watch, to sort of build on. Did you see when she hosted Saturday Night Live and Tommy? Yes. Yes. Amazing. She's like, um. I'm supposed to imagine you naked or is it me naked? Uh, and then she just like, <laughs> yeah, the monologue. she gets naked. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. And then Tommy comes on. Oh, they have like the fake Tommy. Then the real Tommy yes. coming on. Yeah. She's it's yeah. Storm McDonald playing fake Tommy really well. Yeah. <laughs> like, like almost playing Tommy better than when Tommy comes on because comes he comes on and plays real Tommy. Tommy, Tommy. To yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Very meta. Very weird. Yeah. <laughs> What about for, you know, the scenes before she's famous? How did you sort of prepare for those? Because we don't really have any reference. I mean, maybe she writes about them, but were you able to find footage of her, you know, on the on the camera? There is a lot of, um, there's photographs of her that are amazing from that time. Um, and I'm pretty sure that's why they sort of cast me was they wanted to sort of literally do the transformation like Pamela did. Like she was found and she was so different from like the kind of version of herself that was then, you know, that she became this star from, of course it's still her, but you know, this like heightened version. And so I used the pictures, I think her early interviews that I found, she seems so like very Canadian, um, very sweet, very nice, (laughs) very like, like kind of, but there's something about her that's so quirky and like acerbic and kind of like, um, rebellious, but, um, but she, uh, and then again in this book, it's called this sort of like not autobiographical book where they, she, she talks about it, which I feel like is, was a pretty good reference for me. And I know you've talked a lot about the physical transformation, but was there a moment or something that was key? For me, it's the eyebrows. Once I saw the eyebrows were right, I was like, 
they've got this. <laughs> Those 90s brows. Whew. Yeah, I was terrified because basically I have such thick brows and I was like, okay, you're going to pluck them. They're never going to grow back. It's going to be, oh, I'm going to have, you know, Pam's eyebrows for the rest of my life. So we tried all these different things. I shaved them, I bleached them. And then eventually we went with this prosthetic forehead that like glued on over my nose and above my eyelids. And then we stuck on these brows. And yeah, it was a big moment. The brow- When the brows worked, I was like, okay, this is the key over <laughs> anything. Honestly, it was the brows. <laughs> Yeah, I'd be more worried about the brows than even like the famous swimsuit. I think. Yeah, well, I was was pretty worried about that. But yeah, (laughs) I remember there was a moment where we're like, we we were in a studio in the valley and it was boiling hot. And I'm this like British girl from, you know, London. And I was walking out onto a back lot in this studio in LA in a red swimsuit and Uggs. And there's a whole like crew of fucking people. And I was like, oh, my God. Where am I? What's happening? <laughs> it was so surreal. But yeah, I had teeth, contact lenses, forehead, the boobs, luckily, not all the time. We could fake it a lot of the time. But when when I was more naked, I had to have this full like chest plate on, um, blonde wig, fake tan. Um, but I, I worked with this really amazing trainer. He's called Matt Bevan. And more than anything, like I lost, I lost a lot of weight. I lost like 20 pounds over the course of like eight months, like in like this preparation for this, not eight months, eight weeks. Um, or maybe it was longer than that. No, it was like four months. Yeah. And, um, but it was more the confidence I had such, he made me feel really fit and athletic. And I felt like it was really, um, feeling strong rather than just losing weight. And it was really, I felt really more confident than I ever have before, really, um, the power of Pamela. (laughs) (laughs) I really want to see her in Chicago. I know she just, yeah, it was only like two weeks long. (laughs) It was quick. I wanted to see it too. I'm sure she was amazing. Have you, um, I know that you've, you've talked about how you understand that she doesn't want to see the series. Is it hard for you to ever watch yourself? Oh yeah. It's, um, it's such a weird response because I think we're all deeply as people, we're self-critical and we, we hold ourselves up to, well, I hold myself and I think it's very common that humans, we hold ourselves up to really high standards and, um, we're way meaner to ourselves than we would ever be to like our friends or family. Um, so I see all the mistakes. I see the moments where I feel I'm being disingenuous or where I can see I'm hiding or, being you know a false false which maybe a lot of other people wouldn't notice but with this it was super important because I was so hands-on and I I did a lot of like I watched all the episodes and made my own notes on the ADR I wanted to do to correct accent and um and luckily like DV and Rob and were so collaborative and so on board with me really um taking ownership and, and and allowing me to sort of really um, call the shots on that kind of stuff. So I went in with like three page, like scripts of cues <laughs> beyond. <laughs> Sometimes it was like, I was like, I need a tiny bit more breath on that sentence. And I need it to be a little higher pitch on that bit, you know, um, a bit OCD probably, but. I do hope at some point down the line, she does watch it because I think it's, it's such a kind testimony to her and mm-hmm. really empathetic. Um, but I also understand if she doesn't. Yeah, me too. It's, it's tricky. It's such a big conversation and something that I still think about on a daily basis. Like I really, I carry all that responsibility quite heavily and I, 
but I, I would really hope that we've done her justice and she would, you know, that if she ever did watch it, she would see that. And, um, I hope, I hope, I hope, (laughs) I pray. (laughs) Next up is Sebastian Stan and Janelle Riley begins by also asking how he found out about the Emmy nom. I was on set. Uh, We were filming, uh, working on this new movie called A Different Man. And we were, we were filming and I actually thought, you know what, it's probably a good thing uh, to, to be focusing on other things and stuff. I mean, because it's, you know, you just, you're aware of it and whatever. And and so I gave my phone to hair and makeup and we were in the middle and then we just started the scene. So I didn't actually look at my phone or anything. And, and we were filming the scene and, and I said, well, you know, I'll just look at it after. And then our director, uh, Aaron Schimberg, uh, we were, he was giving us notes for the scene and he was like, oh, by the way, like, congratulations. And I was like, Oh, really? And then he goes, yeah, my friend just sent me a text. You got on. And I said, oh, that's, oh, that's great. That's, that's, uh, that's, that's, I'm glad that worked out, you know, but it, it certainly was a very, yeah, it's a, it's a surreal moment. I, I don't have context to, to compare it to anything because it's never really happened. So for me, but I think I, you know, certainly uh, you, you, it's a very, grateful moments. I mean, there was a lot of hard work that went into it. And I know a lot of people kind of gave it their, their all, you know, with the show and, and just approached it as best as we could. And, and so just to, to get the, the recognition of any sort is, it was certainly a, a good, a good day, a good moment. I mean, I don't think anyone's surprised, but at the same time, I am not being hyperbolic when I say this is the most competitive category I have ever seen at the Emmys. There are so many amazing male lead performances in limited series or TV movie that, you know, you you don't know what's going to happen. You really don't. And like the company you're in is mind blowing. Oh yeah. No, I, I, yeah, no, I, it's, first of all, every, like every category, like I just, I don't even know how there's, yeah. Like, I don't know how it even works. Cause like, it's true. There were, First of all, like White Lotus is an unbelievable show. I was one. I I love that show. Then then the Staircase, I was obsessed with. I mean Antonio Campos, who I who I've known and and who I'm a huge fan of. And then I I, I knew that documentary, and I remember like going like you know how how are we going to be able to sort of you know take the story and see it? And again, as soon as it came out, I was obsessed with that. I watched it all the way through. Um, then there was Dope Sick, and there was just it was a lot of lot of really good stuff and so like i don't know how eventually you know how it all kind of how how you can really pick from anything really because there's there's so much content and so many good things so so it, it was i i think we were i think going into it you know certainly like lily and myself and Rob Siegel and and like DV, like I, I think everybody was excited to talk about the show because we we felt good about it and we had we really did have a, a a good work experience. So so talking about it never felt like a chore. But I think you know, and we knew that people. I mean, a lot of people had seen it uh, certainly, and and but we, it just was impossible to kind of know what was going to happen. 
I mean, you've worked with so many amazing people, um, but I look just looking at this category, I would be starstruck being in that category. Do you ever have those moments where you're like, oh my God, I'm doing a scene with Nicole Kidman or are you, is, is it, is it, are you relaxed at this point? No, no, no. I almost like had a breakdown the other day, like on this thing that I'm just working on now. I came home and again, I just, I was like, I don't, this is like, I don't know what I'm, you know, there's always a moment I think of kind of like the good, healthy, you know, uncomfortability uh, that I think should be there. You can't ever really, I think if I just sort of, if, like I've said this before, if I, if I feel like I totally know what I'm going to do in the scene or things are really all going to plan. We're making our days. We're getting like the first two takes are perfect. You know, like then I start to get suspicious. <laughs> it's, I actually need a little bit of the uncomfortability part. Um, sometimes like good, you know, accidents happen or things you haven't planned on, on, you know, end up happening in a take and then something real and organic comes out of it. And, and it's usually that, that sort of, ends up overriding anything you've ever planned. But opposite, I, I always feel, and I know we've talked about this, you know, when you're opposite somebody who kind of really shows up and starts to push your buttons and challenge you, you're you're just not gonna have a choice to kind of rise up to the challenge. You don't wanna be the the person that, show, that didn't do the work. You don't wanna be the guy that's slowing everything down, you know? So that's how I think of it. I was actually curious if, um, because Tommy, I, I'm talking about him obviously both as a person and a character, um, but for the purpose of this, of, of this, we'll say as a character, he's such a live wire and he's so unpredictable. Um, were you able to improvise in character? I, I don't even know if you see it as improvising. You're just, you know, channeling him at some point. Yeah. Well, well, fortunately there was not a lot of improvising and I, and, and again, I say, I mean, we could have, there was maybe here and there we would, but there actually wasn't because the writing was so good the way that they had written it. Um, so we just needed to follow the the writing basically. And a lot of his inflection and sort of the way he speaks was in the writing. I mean, they, you know, they really got him. And, um, and then I think it was just more, it was for me, it was just more kind of trying to find balance of different colors that, you know, he has sort of um, in terms of like the exuberance or the the sort of childlike qualities or the sense of excitement that, you know, could also just maybe go a different way depending on um, the situation. And, and And it's always that marriage of technical with kind of, in the moment stuff, but, but I feel like you need the writing for that, you know, to kind of ground you. Cause I think, I think the improving thing, um, unless you spend five, six months, like as this person, Eunice will slip into it. Tommy is, you know, he's so often he's at a 10 that he doesn't have anywhere higher to go <laughs> that you don't yeah. know what he's going to say. And a lot of the stuff he says, it feels like it could be improvised because it's, it feels so in the moment, which is, you know, hard to pull off, honestly. Yeah. I mean, I think the, I think that's why I, I really, I really loved that earpiece that I had for the first time it was that it was the first time I ever 
wore this earpiece and um i gotta I, I gotta tell you it was jessica chastain that that actually recommended that to me and um and she was like well you know because i was asking her you know i had questions about her you know i we had talked at one point i just she had just done Tammy Faye, and i was like hey can i like you know i've got to, i'm playing a real person like I, i'm listening to the voice i'm doing these things and there's this energy and um, she, so I was getting some tips and she had said, you know, talk, told me about this uh, earring, this audio piece. And um, so and, and that was a great, great thing for me that that liberated me in a way because it's this tiny piece. And I guess I'd heard sometimes people use it for lines or things, but I just used it to play music. And, and then. I was, and, and no one, no one could hear it. No one, and except for me. And, and so I just, for some reason, I had music playing all through the scenes as we were doing them. Uh, and it really helped my energy because, um, because he does seemingly have endless amounts of energy. And then I just recently read, he's on this tour. They're on tour right now. And I just read somewhere that he only eats like once a day. And I was like, you know, like, it's just crazy to me because I don't, I obviously, I actually did try to eat once a day when we were doing it. And it was not <laughs> like I, I had energy and then I, and then I didn't. So. I'm sorry. I need to correct you. Um, she is to be referred to as Oscar winner, Jessica Chastain. Of course. Oh my God. Of course. Yes, of course. I mean, and rightfully so I actually called that out. I mean, I mean, I was like, this is, this is going to be the moment for sure. I was like, really? I don't know. I thought when I saw that movie, I mean, she's always been incredible in everything. Um, you know, it's, it's turned in so many different kinds of performances and stuff. And I just, but yes, a hundred percent Oscar winner. Just as from here to four, you will be referred to as at least Emmy nominee, Sebastian Stan. <laughs> In a couple months, maybe that'll that'll shorten. <laughs> yeah. Well, my ma- my manager said something like that, and it was sort of it was sort of funny that that's I guess that's what happens. I I don't know. Um, but it, it certainly is. You know, I think you know, like I said, I'm going to be 40 next month. Uh, it's been a I've been very lucky to have been working for a while, and you know, I I got out of school in 05, 2005. I was early twenties. And, you know, I think, um, and then prior to that, you know, I had a, quite a journey getting to this country and stuff. So, so it, it you know, it, it, it's, you don't get in this, you don't get in this business without having a thought of one day being able to have an opportunity to get up and, and, and thank, you know, people that have like helped you along the way. Like that's how I see those moments it's just they're rare and they may only happen once or they never happen like it just like it just may never happen like that was the only thought i had was like i'm like it this may be the only time you know i mean maybe maybe not you never know like but the idea of just being able to kind of like i guess you know you have a moment to thank people for 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 things that have happened and and that's it that's that's you know that's the moment and so um, I guess like regardless, uh, it is it's definitely a, a special thing, you know.
You always talk about your yourself and your career as though you think you've hit your peak and you're on the way down. Like, I mean, almost like, you're always like, you know, I probably won't get back here again. This might not ever happen or I haven't been here before. But like, what are you going to accept that you are on an upward trajectory? You, you, you got Well, here's the thing. You got to remember, I'm Eastern European, right? Like we were like I was raised always to look behind my back. Like <laughs> I, I just how I was raised, you know, with my mother and stuff like where we were. You you, you just it's there's superstitious. There's things like where you go. You know, you never know, like, like, make sure you seize the day while you can, because and and so I've never really uh, gave, you know, kind of forgotten that. But I also feel that it's very easy to, like I said, to, to kind of fall into some sort of an expectation. And I worry about that sometimes. I don't, you know, I don't want to ever have expectations about, um, you know, who told me that actually? Oscar winner Julianne Moore. <laughs> uh, got it right this time. Yeah, we I because we worked on this movie together, and I remember I I and I recently uh I had to do ADR and for it, and I had seen her and I said, I I'm I'm in regards to the movie I'm shooting right now, I said, you know, I'm doing this thing, it's really different. I'm really terrified about it. And 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 uh, she was like, You just no expectations, you cannot have expectations, and and easier said than done of course because we're all human but but i really try to kind of like be like okay like keep it keep it to where it's at you know you know there's that scene where pam says to tommy i wish i could be more like you and mm. i'm curious if even as exhausting as he could be if there was anything you took from playing tommy that you actually liked or you know being in his skin that you you know i, I mean i just admired i admired like kind of this weird youthful optimism I admired his energy and I think that like he really he feels things very passionately there's a lot of things that you know I liked about him that I, I think I would enjoy playing well of course I mean I think you're always looking at kind of what are you learning here and there was a lot of there was a lot of pieces to this I mean I think it's very tough to 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 when you're playing somebody that's real because again um you 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 feel uh i guess responsible or indebted or you know in some way and and but i i think for me what i what i sort of felt was a yearning there there was a yearning there for love and connection and acceptance and love and connection. I mean, I've spoken about this before, you know, he had a really interesting childhood upbringing. You, you don't really see it in the show, but he talks about it in his book and stuff. And, and, you know, he, it sounded again, I'm no therapist here, but my, my take on it from, from what I've read in his own book and him talking about it was there was his childhood was very, he, he sounded neglected in, in a lot of ways, you know, his mom didn't speak English maybe it wasn't intentional, but his father, you know, that, and, and his mother conversed, um, by pictures. They, that's for a lot of those very formative years, like where a child like is sucking like in every and learning and is developing cognitive, like functioning about love and acceptance. And, and his way of being heard was, was often banging on pots and pans and like cupboards, which is what led to the drums and then led to this sort of like 
need to express. And so I, I, I guess I understood that coming from another country and, and, and having grown up in this country for a little while with an accent, learning English as I was growing up and sometimes often coming like up against like not fully being able to communicate things I wanted. Like I got the, to me, I got like the, the need to, Hey, like, I, I know I'm not perfect. Like, I don't know how I just, but I know I want to, I want this to happen or I'm trying to say something or I want you to hear me and, and, and you're not, or I can't connect. And, but that need for, for, for connect, you know, I mean, you know, uh, we talked about him a lot, the great Larry Moss, you know, who I work with all the time, who I worked with on this, who, you know, sent me a text when nomination came and I, I, I was like, I could die happy now. It's like, if he's, you know, if he's the one texting me, congrats, I'm all good, you know, but he'd always say to me towards any character, you know, real or not, just remember where's the need for love, you know, where's the need for, for that? Cause somehow, you know, there, there, there's gotta be something there, you know? And so I try to look for those things. And then I guess, again, I don't, I, I don't think every character, every, every character again has different needs, but, but I guess for me here, that that's sort of one thing that I could really understand is, is just that sometimes that yearning and not being understood and, you know, and, and, and look, I've had my fair share of understanding. I just spent an hour and a half before I got on the zoom with you being followed by five paparazzis in an Uber. I had to circle around you know, just so I could go home because I don't know if they're going to follow me. They're going to stand at home and then, you know, you can sell that online and then somebody else is just going to pop up and be there. And then they're going to, you know, by the way, if I walk and uh, I remember somebody texted me one time and said, Hey, are you okay? And I was like, yeah, why? What's up? Oh, I don't know. I just, I just um, read on Dumois that, that, you know, you were like upset on the phone is like, and I was like, Oh my God. Like I could be like talking to my dry cleaner about like, I could be like, Oh my God, I needed to get the suit by five. You're telling me it's going to be tomorrow. And then somebody will see me do that. Not know what I'm and go to Dumois and, and, and say that I'm upset on a telephone. Like it's insane. So it's like, yeah, I can understand like a little bit, like the invasion of privacy uh, aspect somewhat not obviously on their scale and certainly not on the scale of a woman who's also trying to be a mother and all the all the other things right on on her level but there are real things here you know there are real things and 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 even i say to myself sometimes i go you know what sebastian suck it up you're lucky you know and you chose this profession you you got in this thing so deal with it. Like you have no say people are, you know, going through all kinds of things. And, and, and I, I return to gratitude and I, and I immediately go, you know what, man, this is not on the scale of what's happening in the world and what we have to face in this country and what's going on right now. Like, this is nothing. Okay. Like this is by no means a complaint that I'm saying here. I just, I'm just simply, I guess when it came to this story, I it's, it's, it's interesting, right? Like, it's interesting to see different people's reactions to it because on a way it's easy to overlook in a similar way that it was overlooked like 10 years ago in the nineties. And at the same time, it's also very easy to relate because we're all experiencing a level of that 
lack of privacy or something or that invasion of because that's what social media is. You don't have to be famous. You can post something and then someone can just be like, you know what? Now it's my property. You're public property now. Here's how I feel about it. Tap, 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 tap. And and you don't know where that's coming from. And then you're you're walking away with the result of that. You know, you're also being generous because I do not think actors signed up for this at all. I think actors sign up to be. You remember in The Godfather Part Two, when Lee when Lee Strasberg tells Al Pacino, that's the scene that plays in my head. When Lee Strasberg tells Al Pacino, "This is the business we chose," and you're like, "Oh God." Well, you know, no, but like again, like there's no, but 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 some some things come come with it. You know, it's just some things come with it, and I would never like the love of it overrides any of that but but there is something unnatural to 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 that to that kind of like thing like these paparazzis that followed me for an hour and a half they got the pictures before it's not like they didn't like it was just that was not enough it was just you got to keep going and you're and you're like well okay I, i don't know like at what point it ends, you know, but that, but that like compared to what they were going through, that's just like, not even, you know, I just imagine if, and then there's a kid involved, like, right. Then you see these poor people that have kids like they did, like Pam and Tommy did, like who are trying to walk the the, the baby strollers and stuff. And then you have to block out the face. It's just, it's that, that part of it is a little crazy, but then, you know, then, then you have, for example, sometimes you have like, a little kid who's like, you know, like they just see you and they go, Oh my God. And, and, and then you see that genuine reaction. And, and then, and then sometimes like you get that because I remember being little and like, you know, seeing people I was seeing in the movies on the street and just kind of being like, Whoa, like, and that really helped, you know, kind of inspired me. So it's just, it's, there's, we just got to like filter through those things. Forgive me for not knowing this, but do you see like little kids dress up as you much like for Halloween? Uh, no, I have. I mean, I always see with Captain America stuff and then the shields will always pop up, you know, and then and then once in a while, there'll be like a, a metal arm. But um, <laughs> <laughs> but I've seen. Yeah, the shields are always the ones that I kind of like I can spot. Yeah, because I've seen like, you know, I've seen like uh, my my nephew went as Black Panther, uh, actually went as Killmonger and he like drew on the beard. (laughs) But I was trying to think if I'd seen many Buckies, but I have to say I have never related or or felt more seen than in the uh, finale of Falcon and Winter Soldier when he it was the single guy showed up at the barbecue with that very specific cake that you get from a grocery store. I brought that cake to so many things. I was like, that is, I know that cake. Oh my God. I mean, yeah, that was, you know, that was a really cool scene because we actually were allowed, like we, we, we improvised, improvised some of that scene. Yeah. Because we were coming and then it was this long specific shot and the turtle has to like pick up and go back. And then, and then, you know, if you're improvising with Mackie, it's, it's always going to be funny. Like it's, it just, and, and, and so I was like, you know, I want to wear the sunglasses. And, and then I came in and then, and then the little kids were like, I was like, yeah. And I feel like we should have like a little fight. So they, they let us do that. And then he and I kind of like meander over to the, uh, to the table. And, uh, and then that was very funny, but, but I thought 
yeah, it was it was nice for the character at that point to have felt so at ease finally around family and other people and for us to kind of see him like that um because that that was someone who was socially so anxious and you know ridden guilt ridden for so many years so it, it it was a good ending at that point when you were talking earlier about you know you you've been talking about pam and tommy for a while now um i promised myself i wasn't going to ask you i was going to try not to ask you any questions that you get a lot but I am curious if at some point did you ever get tired of talking about the prosthetic work? <laughs> so many well, and I get the curiosity. I do. And it was such a cool scene and and, and such a window into Tommy's mind. But at some point where you're just like, oh God, people need to well, stop asking. I thought it was another sign of why our show was basically proving the point. Because here we go, we're saying that there's a lot of things to that show. And yet that's the scene that I'm being, that I'm talking about that much. Like, that's what the, it's like, you know, so, so it weirdly to me, it highlighted like that, that like what, what we're, what the point of the show was sort of like, you know, that, that, you know, we've all got this salacious nature to, to kind of like that we, you know, it's very easy to kind of like go to the, go to that click or go to the thing that pulls you in and then not think so much of, of where the other, what the other parts of it are. But it's funny in terms of the acting of it, that was, for example, that was one scene where I was, uh, I was supposed to be on ecstasy and, and I've never done ecstasy in my life. And I was like, I love, this experience, but I'm not doing ecstasy for the first time of my life. So, um, but I was like, but I need to know like what it's like or whatever. So I was asking people that, you know, I'd done it and stuff. And, and then finally I, I said, you know what, I'm going to go back to that damn earpiece. So I actually, I had a tiny little, you know, the, the little ear thing. And then I, I, I was playing all this atmospheric music, like to the side of it so then i was just like really everything was very slow <laughs> but um and it worked you know it was just um and craig was very good about you know he was always really he he was uh, directing that episode and and he was always very good at seeing just making you focus on the one thing that like unlocks the rest of it you know because sometimes you can go into a scene like that and go oh you know it's this and the prosthetic and they're going to say this and is it like surreal is it going to work is it not work is it stupid is it am i believable like you just all and he was like you know what you're just you're just a guy in love and that's it you're just like if you want to get emotional get emotional like if you're you're just really learning like that's it like oh my god i'm i'm I, I can't believe I'm, I, I'm, I, I'm, I'm in love with this one. Like, and, and, and that's what it, that's kind of like what it became. Um, and again, we didn't know if it was going to make it past, like into past the editing room, because if it was too much, then I think it wouldn't have been there. But, but fortunately it, it stayed. Cause again, I think it helped sort of show the, the wildness of it. And then, um, and then if you've read Tommy's book, you can get more scenes like that. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's the thing. I know people latch on to it because it is, I think you use the word salacious, but it's, it also just like shows kind of how bold and innovative and unique the show itself was and that it was willing to, to do different things, you know? 
Oh yeah, totally. I mean, that's that second episode was such a wild, you know, thing. It was like, um, I mean, I, I just kept, I remember reading it and going like, are we really like going to be able to do any of it? Like it just felt that it was just always cranking up to another level, you know, which is kind of what I th- presumably that trip must've been for them. It was an amazing experience. And then it was one more amazing experience and then well, we're going to get married. And then, Oh my God, you know, like it just kept. And um, that's what that episode feels like. It feels like a roller coaster that you're on. Having just said, I wasn't going to ask you about it. I have one more question about it that I'm actually curious. It's a technical question because uh, his penis is voiced by the great Jason Manzukis, who just using his voice says so much for me. Um, yeah. Did you, did you have a recording of him already or was it like somebody off camera reading it to you? No, it was DV, um, DV Sentis. Uh, he, he, he was... Um, he he's the one that uh, read it with me. We didn't know who was going to do it at the time. We didn't know who was going to do it. And and I did. I mean, Rob Siegel did text me like about a, four, a month later going like, should we do you think like Chris Evans would do? And I was like, don't, don't even don't even go there, Rob. Like, there's no way I'm calling that guy down wherever he is in Atlanta. Like, I'm not. I'm not even like sending a text to this. He would have done. He had like two great cameos last year. He could just do cameos now for the rest of his life. I, I, know. I know. I just. I was like. I was like. I'm like Rob. If 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 he says yes and all that, like you're just gonna flip the universe like into another stratosphere. Like we'll never return. <laughs> like it would just be too much almost to handle for any of us, <laughs> myself included, you know. <laughs> oh my God. But when you when you saw the final scene with Jason's voice, were you just like it's oh, yeah. It, it yeah, and I and again I was like when when they said uh that's who it was gonna be, I was like, oh my god, of course, like that's such a smart um that was such a well thought out because he is yeah, it's very funny and it has, you know. Um, he has the right kind of tone. I mean, it's just trying to rein him back in from going down this cliff <laughs> for point of no return. You actually, um, you referenced the great Larry Moss earlier. And yes. I was curious because it's a name. I mean, I've been hearing that name for years, but uh, I've been hearing it a lot lately. And I'm sort of curious how you found him. Like, was he recommended to you or, you know, was it an ad in a paper? <laughs> no, you, no. Started? you know what it was? I mean, here's a, here's a crazy part. It's like, um, I found him in 2008. I, I, I remember. Um, and uh, a friend of mine, Chris Egan said to me, and it was, he was like, you know what, you should, you should go. Uh, I was like, I have this big audition. It's a screen test for Green Lantern. And it's me. And I was like, I, uh, I think that was 2008 or whatever. And, and, I, and I was like, it's me. And it's like Justin Timberlake and like Jared Leto and, and, and Ryan Reynolds. And I, I don't think I'm going to get it. And, and, and they were like, well, maybe you should study with Larry Moss. And so like, it was actually, that was the audition I'd call them about to help me on this, on the screen test of Green Lantern, which I didn't get. But Larry was like, you know, um, he, and I'd heard of him a little bit. And then 
we worked on that audition. And of course I bought his book, didn't get the movie, whatever. And then he and I just continued and, and, and his book was really helpful. Cause again, I, like I went to Mason Groves to Rutgers, you know, I, I, I came up on like the Meisner technique and it was really, really helpful. And, and I, and it took me a lot, a lot of years to kind of understand it. I think, I think it's hard sometimes being an acting student, like when you're 18, 17, you're, you're forming also yourself as a person. And so I felt like I needed a little, I, I, I never thought, okay, I'm done. Like I, I, I need to keep learning and keep practicing thing. And I think that with Larry really combined, like was very helpful for me. And, and then he would coach me for auditions. You know, one time I went out for death of a salesman with Philip Seymour Hoffman and um, Andrew Garfield. And um, I remember I went to Larry and I said, Larry, and, and Andrew Garfield was already playing Biff. And, um, but the other brother role was still open. And I said, Larry, it's like, it's death of a salesman. Like, this is what it's, it's he, you talk about it in your book. And he was like, and we, we worked on the audition and, and right when I, I was, it was, I had a week to go. And then right as about, I was walking out of his apartment, he goes, you know what? No, I cannot let you walk out of here right now and go to this thing like this. No, you're going to come here dressed as this character every single day at 10 a.m. And we're going to work on this thing for a whole week. And I worked with him for a whole week on that on that audition. And then I met Mike Nichols for, to, at that audition. And he just said to me, he was like, that was great, but you're more like a Biff, you know, and that part's cast. So um, such a pleasure to meet. And I was like, your Mike Nichols doesn't matter. <laughs> it was, but you know, but again, like that was Larry. And, and then, and then I worked with him on all the Marvel stuff and, and basically, you know, worked with him on everything. I fresh, I worked with him on, I worked with him on this. I worked with him on obviously on the Pam and Tommy thing. I, um, I've just, it's, he's been so great, you know, and, and um, he's gotten a little bit older. So I, my, my, now I'm all, I'm always like hanging on to him as much yeah. as I can, you know? I mean, it says so much cause you just told two audition stories where you ultimately didn't get the part, but you oh, still yeah. going back to him. So it, it shows how good he was that you were so happy with. Uh, well, well, yeah, but because, but you know, I mean, I always tell this to like, yes. you know, younger, like, actors when they're asking you about like just because you don't get the part doesn't mean it wasn't a, a you didn't give it your all or you did but often i feel um there's so many pieces to it and like you know and and it larry to me became once i did get the part and then i actually could go work with him for him for the project then I really felt like I was getting him a hundred percent, you know, and, and, but yeah, auditions, you know, they could go either way. And, and sometimes, you know, it has nothing to do, unfortunately with the work and stuff. And I also believe certain things just sometimes don't happen because you're, it's, you're not ready for mm -hmm. them to happen. You know, um, uh, maybe I just tell that to myself because <laughs> the way that it happened, I don't know. I have to ask because it blew up the internet. Um, is there any progress on your rom-com with Jennifer Aniston? <laughs> yes, I wish. <laughs> Listen, I found, I found this one thing and I sent it over there. Uh, I, I, I sent it to her 
agents. So I don't know. We'll, we'll see. Really? I did. I mean, I, yeah, it was something that I, I really, I thought maybe it could work, but you know, again, it's, she, she'll, she'll have to decide that, but, but I'm here. I'm, I'm, I'm ready whenever, whenever the, the right thing comes or whenever she feels there's something right, it would be a dream for sure. That would be, that would be awesome. I'm always telling you to do a rom-com. I know. I love them. Honestly, I've been I, telling you that for years. I know. I love them. I mean, there's a few floating out there and I keep looking for them, but it's, it's taking a minute. I mean, to a certain degree, Fresh was a rom-com. Yeah. That's well, that's one of the things about it that kind of like drew me to it was that I'm like, it started out so well, like, because yeah. I read the script and I, and I knew, and he was like, yeah, just know that the guy starts getting crazy. And, and I was like, oh yeah. Okay. And then I, I just like went in there looking for the crazy. And then for the first 20 pages, I'm like, this is very funny. And, and yeah. <laughs> that was Sebastian Stan. And before that, Lily James, the Emmy nominated stars of Pam and Tommy. All episodes are available to stream on Hulu. And that's it for this edition of Variety's Award Circuit Podcast. Drew Griffith edited this episode, and Michael Schneider is the producer. Be sure to subscribe to the Award Circuit Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you download podcasts. Also, head on over to Variety.com and click on the Award Circuit tab to find the latest Emmy predictions and key races, as well as your daily fix of news, analysis, and reviews. For Jazz Tanke, Emily Longaretta, and Clayton Davis, I'm Michael Schneider, and we'll see you on the circuit. <laughs>